0: I mean terrible at drinking water. I always have been. It's just not my strong suit. I forget to drink water all of the time. But we obviously need to drink water. It's wildly important, right? For your skin, for your cell reproduction, for all of it, right? So I found this thing called Liquid IV and it is my favorite product. And I'm only ever going to talk to you about the things that I love. And so Liquid IV is something that I L-O-V-E love. So it's like a drink packet that you put into your water. makes your water taste so much better. And why it's awesome is it provides two to three times faster hydration into your bloodstream and is way more efficient than just drinking water alone. So I highly recommend it. If you want to know, my favorite flavors are guava and passion fruit. So if you want to try out Liquid IV, I do have a code for you. It is Victoria Brown, and you'll get 25% off and free shipping by using that code. So the code is Victoria Brown. Highly recommend Guava. Highly recommend Passion Fruit. Yeah, Liquid IV. Try it out. What is up, squad? Today, I have just the most mind-blowing awesome, incredible interview to share with you. And so this interview today is with my friend and the person who taught me how to meditate. Yes, I know how to meditate. Uh, His name is David G. Meditation. Yes, you heard that right. He changed his last name to meditation, you guys but we're talking about so much more than just meditation. So if you're someone who's been interested in meditation and wanting to learn more about meditation, then this interview is definitely for you. And if you're someone who just wants to level up in your life, which I feel like definitely (laughs) speaks for any person listening to this, because I know that the people who follow me and the people who are my listeners are people who want to level up their lives. This is going to be for you. We're going to cover so many things. We're going to cover how to meditate. cover why to meditate we're going to cover david g's story of you know how he went from you know wall street banker guy to meditation guy and just how to incorporate stillness into your life especially you know we had this crazy pandemic that we're you know kind of still peeling back the layers of and, and stepping into our quote-unquote normal lives again, right? But you know, it's like, how do we take some of that stillness with us into the madness again as, as life resumes? How do we take some of that with us? And so we're going to go over so many golden nuggets that will just help you connect to the stillness within so that you can be a powerhouse in your life and all your other other moments right and so that's what this is about today and david g is such an impressive human being he's written 3 books yes you heard me right 3 he's written 3 books he works with everyone from you know c suite you know executives to you know the military police force Regular people off the street, just anyone and everyone. Uh, he's, you know, was the COO and lead educator and dean of students at the Chopra Center for Deepak Chopra. Okay. So, you know, this is the guy. This is like that guy. He's the guy. And beyond that, you know, you got to follow him on Instagram, David G. Meditation. So, D A V I D. J I Meditation at David G Meditation. And so he'll share meditations everywhere. However, I do want to point out that he has the cutest dog ever and he meditates with his dog all the time. And you got to watch these videos of how his dog has this incredibly cute prance. I'm going off on a tangent. We're going to start the interview. Check out David G. Check out his dog. Follow him on Instagram. I just love this guy so dearly. And I know you're going to love today's interview. So without further ado, here we go. All right, all right, all right. So I am super, super, super excited about today's guest and I want to welcome David G to the interview. Welcome to the space. This is uh, such a cringeworthy word, the word guru, but you know what? I'm going to go there. This is my meditation guru. This is the guy who has taught me everything I know about meditation. And so I'm so honored to have you here today
1: thank you so much for inviting me. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I'm such a fan of yours. Hopefully we can chill out your people for a little bit.
0: That's the goal, right? Always the goal. Yeah. So, I mean, just a little bit of a backstory here, you know, for me on how I found you and how I found meditation, I'd like you call it crisis meditators right? So these are people who meditate when they are in a crisis in their lives. They're like, shit has hit the fan. I got to do something. Let me try this thing called meditation. We'll see if it works. And then they only lean on that when they're in crisis. And so, as it goes, that was me. I was a crisis meditator all my life, pretty much in and out of it. And so, I think with a lot of people, you know, this pandemic happened and I found myself, I was someone who was teaching 12 to 15 soul cycle classes a week. And I was on a sort of rat wheel and I felt like I was going nowhere fast. I was basically a robot living my life on autopilot. And when the pandemic happened, this automatic pause that we all had to had no choice, we couldn't escape. I was like, okay, I've got some space here. What am I going to fill this space with? And it was unequivocally, no question. I knew it was mindfulness and it was meditation. And so I you know, got on the interwebs and I'm like, all right, cool. Who am I going to study with? and found Unplugged Meditation, and found you, and and did the meditation teacher training with you, and and sort of never looked back.
1: You know, I think that's really what happens to most people. I practiced meditation, and connected to it, and loved it in in a college course that I was taking. And, you know, then over the years, you know, sometimes I was like really into it for like a year, and then whatever. And then suddenly I was into another type, and candle gazing, and you know so many different types of of meditation tantra and mantra and mindfulness and chocolate tasting meditation you name it I, I was doing it but as it got more involved in the corporate world my meditation practice slipped away and that's really i think what happens you know to most people 85 percent of the planet are crisis meditators because you know it's like oh i got to do this additional thing as well but if you know if we're talking to your audience your audience are go-getters, I'm from Queens, high achievers, control freaks, you know, like all that. So so we can claim this. We can do this thing. We can add this component to our lives and it's probably the reason that that most people get on this journey for for whatever reason. Suddenly they realize like, oh, there's more or I want less or this needs to stop or like whatever whatever that is. And so you're a certified meditation teacher. That doesn't have to be the path for everyone. But certainly, a starting point is being able to just sit with yourself for a couple of minutes. And most of us don't do it. You know, we wake up, we burn through the day, we pass out, we wake up, we burn through the day, we pass out, we wake up, we burn through the, through the day, we pass out. Just like you were talking about, you know, you're on this wheel. You're on that wheel. And most of us, you know, and then one day we die. And that's it. And we can rebirth ourselves. I believe we can recreate ourselves. We can reinvent ourselves. I believe in personal as well as professional rebranding on a consistent basis. And meditation can give you that pause, you know, just that space to just like stop everything just for for a millisecond so that we can then make a better choice. And COVID did that for all of us. COVID has delivered this, this magnificent gift. We've all been praying for it. We prayed for it our whole lives. I wish things would just slow down. I wish cars would stop polluting you know, the environment. I wish the factories would stop. I wish, and so suddenly like for a year, the whole planet was given this gift and here we are right now, what are we gonna do with it? You know, a lot of people are just like holding their breath and waiting for the storm to pass. And guess what, the storm is never gonna pass. We just have to figure out how do we integrate back into the world and what are the tools that we can move back in to sort of heal the trauma that we've experienced, as well as to thrive and take our next step. And meditation is that tool. It's the pattern interrupt that we have at our fingertips, no equipment necessary.
0: It's exactly that. And I think what you just said, too, on the tail end of that about a lot of people experiencing trauma, I think there's a lot of people who don't realize they have experienced trauma, In the past year, you know, having all of our lives turned completely upside down and everything changing in an instant, and then having to navigate that. I think most people or a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of side effects to that. And it is trauma, and we're all going through that. And so it's like, you know, all of a sudden when it's like, okay, come back to work now, or go back to your social settings now, or go back to the movies now, or do that, you know, it's like we're supposed to just be able to flip this switch and just automatically jump all the way back in. And then you notice like this maybe anxiety bubbling to the surface or, you know, these kind of feelings or emotions and you can't quite put your finger on what it is. But, you know, that's what meditation does for all of us is is invites that pause, the wanted pause into our lives. And, you know, meditation is that there's a little break, there's a little pause in between each inhale and exhale. And a lot of times we refer to that as, you know, the gap and that's like the sweet spot, right? And you know, one of the most common misconceptions out there, I feel in regards to meditation is that you're supposed to have this grandiose aha moment, come to Jesus moment in the middle of your meditation. And a lot of times, you know, that doesn't happen. I think the magic of meditation is actually found in all of the moments that we aren't meditating, because it's how we show up in our lives, how we show up at work, how we show up in our friendships, how we show up in our relationships, how we show up as human beings on planet earth, when we have a, the ability or cultivate the ability to to witness what's happening around us to respond versus react, which is the biggest difference maker, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, how are we supposed to make the best decision? How are we supposed to change our direction? How do we get to that place if it's nonstop, if it's relentless, if the same thought, you know, we have 60,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. They're the same thoughts. You know, most of them are the same thoughts we had yesterday and the same thoughts of, the day before they're just like washing over us you know same old same old same old same old same old same old and we don't really give ourselves the opportunity to introduce that pause to just take just a little time in so we could suddenly go okay what should i do right here you know do i stay or do i go do i keep doing what i'm doing or do i risk this new thing that i've been thinking about how do i change my routine how do i change my schedule? How do I show up more for these people and allow these people to sort of like drift away from my life? If there isn't a break, then there's just too much stuff happening. There's too much noise, internal noise. And so meditation really is this powerful opportunity for us to just sit with ourselves and just allow, because most of our suffering comes from resisting what is it's the thing you're suffering about right now it's because i don't want this to be like this or because this thing i want it to be something else and we're you know this doesn't mean we shouldn't be high achievers this doesn't mean we shouldn't like you know set intentions and move in the direction of our dreams and desires but you know there's an ancient teaching and here's my mini bhagavad-gita you know this ancient indian text it's about 2300 years old where this great warrior is on the battlefield, the greatest warrior of all times, his name is Arjuna. And he's conflicted. He's come to this battle. And he has his 20,000 soldiers over here. And as he looks across the battlefield, he realizes in the 20,000 soldiers on the other side are his friends and his teachers and his family members. And he's supposed to lead his army, because they're all trying to throw shade on him. And so he's conflicted, he's torn. And it's the perfect metaphor for all of us, you know, when we're asking, you know, do I stay, do I go, do I, you know, I'm at a fork in the road, I'm at some type of crossroads, you know, which way do I go? And he says to God, you know, like, okay, how am I supposed to live my life? And God replies to him, Yogasta Kuru Karmani. Yogasta Kuru Karmani. Yogasta means establish yourself in the present moment. And Kuru Karmani means and then perform action. So these ancient teachings, the ancient wisdom traditions aren't about like just go in a cave and meditate and do nothing and let the world happen. They're all about taking action. They're all about, you know, you you must act, you must do, you must take the step. But, oh, you want to know how it was best to do it? Get still first. Get still and then be brilliant. And I think that's, that's lost when a lot of people hear about meditation. They think, oh, this is just like the non-activist, total pacifist, just going to sit and do nothing and let all things unfold as they're supposed to be. It's like, no, we need to act. We need to take action. We need to do stuff. But what's the best way to do it? Get still first. Gain clarity first and then move forward. That's guidance from 2,300 years ago. And whether you buy it or don't, I'll just give you an example. They did a, a study in Europe of people taking penalty kicks when the soccer player is running down the field and he's about to kick the ball and he gets pulled down where she gets pulled down by someone right as they're trying to score the goal they say okay it's like a foul shot in basketball they say okay we're going to put the ball here it's just you the ball the goal and the goalie now go kick it and see if you can score and they did the study where they looked at 5000 videos and where the person taking the penalty kick took at least 10 seconds from the moment they put the ball down and then the moment they kicked the ball If they took at least 10 seconds, they had a 60% higher scoring rate just by taking an extra breath, just by taking a couple of more moments, just a few moments. And we don't do that. You know, someone's having a conversation with us. We're just waiting for them to shut up so we can talk. Something happens to us and we think that, oh, the best person responds instantly. Well, the best person responds probably a little more thoughtfully. And so if we can weave meditation into our life, or how about this? Just when you get an email, just when someone says something, whatever it is, you just stop and take a breath and let it go. We're going to make a better choice. We will make a better decision when we come from a place of stillness. And the newest science has even confirmed our brain after 45 minutes requires a break. And, you know, we hit like peak levels of efficiency, neurological efficiency, and then suddenly we start. To decline. So most of us, we're working on two, three, four hours at a time, staring at the green dot or staring at our devices. And if we just took a break, just to stop and breathe, Jim, just for a few moments, ideally a few minutes, but just a few moments, every 45 minutes. So you, you could do that. You could set your phone to just give me a, an alarm at the top of every hour. And in that hour, I don't do anything fancy. I don't suddenly get in lotus position and go off someplace or find my meditation cushion. I just stop, close my eyes, take a few long, slow deep breaths in, and then get back to it.
0: Right, and it's energizing. I'm someone personally, I am, and always have been completely fascinated with the mindset of athletes and how people train. So I find the story, you know, pertaining to soccer particularly interesting because you know, I was listening to recently a podcast with a guy named Tim Grover. He has a couple books out, but he has trained Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, right? And so on the podcast they asked him, "Did you train other people who are more physically gifted than Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan?" And his answer was yes. And he's like, you trained, you're telling me the two greatest basketball players of all time, you have trained athletes who were more physically gifted than Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. And he like, yeah. And he's like, so what's the difference? And it's how they train their mind. That is the difference. And so I think that applies. You want to be great at anything. You want to be great at sports. You want to be great at life. You want to be great at business. You want to be great as a mother, as a friend. You want to be great at anything in your life figure out how to incorporate moments of mindfulness and stillness, and just connecting to who you are. And if you can add that into your day, I think it's just like the difference maker in, in being great at anything and being average.
1: Yeah. You know, I teach uh, mindful performance and a lot of people think, Oh, you're teaching people, you know, how to meditate. And yeah, that, that's, that's part of it, but it's to be a ninja. That's what mindful performance is. It doesn't mean that suddenly you have to stop in the middle and, you know, go off and meditate. It means that if you can cultivate this as a daily practice into your life, you can really start to bring that seed that you plant of stillness. It'll follow you around for the rest of the day. That's the beauty of meditation because the crisis meditator, you know, has a fight and says, ah, you're such a jerk. I'm going to go meditate. That's what the crisis meditator does. But. If we had a proactive practice, maybe we started our day with ten minutes of stillness and silence. You know, and I call it meditation, where we can just like you don't have to leave your bed. In fact, when your alarm goes off, you know, tap the snooze, slide your tush up to the headboard, keep your eyes co- closed, pull the blanket up. You can pull your dog up with you as well. They're not going to be sure if you woke up or not or if you're meditating, and then just you know, watch your breath. Or use some kind of mantra. And that mantra can be, you know, I am peace. That mantra can be, I'm going to crush it. That mantra can be in Sanskrit or Chinese or, or, or any language, you know, whatever, whatever that means.
0: I personally deal with a lot, of, a lot of imposter syndrome all the time. I think we all do. But on a personal note, I do. And so I, a mantra I always come back to is like, on my inhale, it's I am on my exhale enough. And then that's it.
1: It's brilliant. And if you just did that and then waited for your alarm to come off again, nine minutes, 59 seconds, then you leave your bed. It's like, hey, guess what? You just cultivated, curated 10 minutes. And you may say, well, no, but I'm going to fall back to sleep. That's okay. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens to you when you meditate. What matters is you're cultivating your neurology, you're cultivating your brain, you're cultivating your hormones and chemicals, you're cultivating your physiology, you're cultivating your mental state, you're cultivating your emotions, suddenly you have higher emotional intelligence. Suddenly you're a little more patient. Suddenly you're a little more really zoned in on the moment. So if we talk about you know getting in the flow, being in the zone, the only way to be in the zone is to sort of like have a practice even if it's just a 10-minute practice before you even leave your bed. But if you do that before you even leave your bed, then you step out into the world. Maybe you pee next. Maybe you poop. Maybe you make a sandwich. Maybe you get dressed. Maybe you shower. Maybe you brush your teeth. Like who knows what you do, but whatever you're doing, maybe you check emails, whatever you're doing, now has 10 minutes of stillness and silence, of you connecting with yourself, which is transformational. It doesn't get enough credit because it's like, really? Something just happened? Yes, scientifically proven, something just happened. You actually shrink your amygdala, and you increase the size of the gray matter of your hippocampus. Your amygdala is the part of your brain responsible for anger and stress and anxiety. Imagine, just by showing up for 10 minutes, you're slowing that down. And your hippocampus is the part of the brain responsible for learning, memory, spatial orientation, hand-eye coordination. So this is critical for people in the business world, for athletes, for parents, for anyone. Imagine we well, don't teach this stuff. We didn't learn this stuff in school. No one's, you know, we didn't learn this from our parents. No, you know, no one ever taught us like, oh, yoga sthakuru kamani, get still first and then perform action. No one ever taught us that.
0: Right. You've profoundly changed the way that anyone and everyone looks at their snooze button from here on out.
1: I hope so. I love that. You know, a lot of people say, you know, our devices are so horrible. Well, how about you just do two things? You hit your snooze button when when your alarm goes off and meditate for those 10 minutes. And you set your alarm every hour with like a gentle, beautiful ring. It could just be like a bling. And you go. Just those two shifts. Suddenly your device becomes this power pack. And. We don't have to like worry about like oh we're so addicted to our devices. Well, our devices can be used for for good as well, so it's not a biggie.
0: So, I want to shift gears a little bit too and talk about you know not that everyone needs to quit their job and go out and become a meditation guru out there, but you know for people who feel like it's not for them, or I want to talk about the life you lived before before this, like who David G was. Before you actually literally changed your last name to meditation, <laughs> you were a Wall Street guy. You were working on Wall Street, New York City. You know what changed, what had to give, and who were you then versus who are you now?
1: Well, as I mentioned, I started meditating when I was in college, and as I got more deeply involved in the corporate world, pretty much that that ended. I traded in my early morning meditation practice for an early morning train ride to the World Trade Center. I traded in my Evening practice for a glass of scotch. And like that, my meditation practice was gone. Totally forgotten. And I noticed that one of the things that had happened also in my life was I was lacking balance. I was really aware that I was lacking balance. My relationships were strained. I didn't feel very purposeful in the work that I was doing. I was a mergers and acquisitions advisor. It wasn't really fulfilling for me. It was fulfilling for other people, but I wasn't really feeling fulfilled. And I was feeling really empty and I didn't reconnect. I didn't remember like, oh, there are tools. It doesn't ever have to be either or. You can integrate all this stuff together. You don't have to be like some woo-woo, cooped out stoner. You can just breathe. You can just use this gift that we've been given called our breathing. No one on the planet breathes enough. No one on the planet really takes the time to just stop and breathe. In the wake of 9-11, I was walking past the row of cardboard boxes that people were living in, walked past this particular box. A hand reached out. It grabbed my leg, pulled me down, and there was this man with these crystalline blue eyes who gazed up at me. And I was, like, being pulled in, and he said to me, what's going to be on your tombstone? And it's a fairly reflective conversation. And I had one of those, I call them butterfly moments, where suddenly, you know, all the traffic stopped, all the taxis stopped, all the conversations stopped, all the movement stopped. And it was just like, I was just held in that moment. What's gonna be on your tombstone? And it probably was a couple of minutes, the whole encounter that we had felt like hours. And so I sort of like staggered down the block a little bit and sat down on some steps of an apartment building right next door. My my legs were shaking, tears were streaming down my face. I was you know hyperventilating. I really had an aha moment asking myself, what is going to be my, what is my meaning? What's going to be my legacy? Why am I here? Why have I been put on this planet? Why would that matter? So I went home that night and my wife said to me, um, I told her the story and she said, you need to quit that job. That's for sure. And so she said, you know, there's this meditation retreat in Oxford, England. You should definitely check it out. You know, it was being hosted by Deepak Chopra. And there were supposed to be like 3,000 people at it. But it was right after 9-11. Nobody was flying. So I quit my job, fairly obedient, headed off to this meditation retreat. There weren't 3,000 people, there were 50. And for a week, we were just really, you know, spending a lot of time meditating. This was like, you know, deep, deep meditation. And by the third day, my heart, which had been like a white linen cloth that had been submerged in black India ink. I had such darkness in my heart and I had such pain in my heart. And day by day, it was like that cloth was being like draped through a rushing stream and just like cleansed and lightened. And like by the third day, I sort of like reconnected with this emotion called joy, which I had lost, totally lost that. I hadn't had joy in, in years. And I was like, wow, it's that thing. It's that meditation. I love connecting, you know, to myself again. I love being a little calmer inside. My anxiety was lessened. My worries seemed to be drifting away. Then I headed off to India because that's what you do. In search of the guru, searched high and low, traveled throughout India up into the Himalayas, See His Holiness the Dalai Lama. You know, I was looking for answers, searching for the Guru. I was bathing in the Ganges and practicing yoga and meditating every day and talking to people on the streets. And five months and 25 days after not having found the Guru, I was laying in a hammock in a cashew forest in Kerala, southern India, reading the Bhagavad Gita, you know, and I read that, you know, chapter 2, verse 48, which I had read hundreds of times. But suddenly in that moment, I was like, oh, that's it. The guru rests inside. The answer to every single question you could ever ask yourself actually rests inside. But there's so much noise. So the only way to access it or hear it is to progressively quiet the fluctuations of your mind. And if we can just slow the mind down, we're not going to stop thoughts. We'll stop thoughts when we die. You know, but if we can just slow our thoughts down just a little bit, we can hear the answers. We can hear the whispers in our heart. We can hear the whispers of God or our highest self. And that's who the guru is. So I came, you know, instantly. I was like, I got it. I got the answer. Eureka, you know, raced back home to New York. And a friend of mine after a few weeks said, dude, all you do is sit around and meditate. I was like, I know. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And he was like, you need to teach other people since you do it all day. And I was like, oh, come on, I'm from Queens. I don't care about anyone else's meditation. You know, I just want to meditate. Leave me alone. And he was like, now, if you really want to learn something, learn to teach it. really want to learn something, learn it from the inside out. And I was like, oh, okay. And he said, you know, your, your boy Deepak, he's got some retreat center in California. You should go there and get certified to be a meditation teacher. So, again, I'm fairly obedient. I was like, all right, doing that. It's not like I was doing anything else. I was just sitting around and meditating. hadn't worked in about about a year and a half and so I went to this teacher training and on the third day of the teacher training Deepak invited me to be the COO to run the Chopra Center and I was like oh okay I can do that so suddenly I found myself you know again 24 7 working like a dog but loving the work loving you know what was my work I was teaching people to meditate I was helping people connect to the stillness and silence that rests within. I was watching people as their anxieties and stress and worries drifted away. And I was like, this is it. This is my calling. I don't care if I'm doing it every moment of every day. This is what fills me up. And I think that's the key. If we can help others, heal others, and serve others using what fills us up and what makes us so giddy, that's it. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're put on this planet to do. To sort of like raise the vibration and feel great inside at the same time. And so did that for about 10 years, trained thousands of people, you know, to be teachers and taught millions of people around the world to to meditate and wrote three books and recorded a, you know, over a thousand meditations. So that's why I changed my last name to meditation. That would seem like the logical thing to do since that's really who I am and, and, and what I've been. So if you're listening to this, don't feel you have to do any of that stuff. I blew up my entire life because that was my journey. And I was an extremist at the time. Regular people who aren't going to just suddenly torch their ex- existence. If you're doing something that isn't resonating with you, you don't have to quit it or blow it up, especially if it's paying you. How about you, you know, start to create just a little side practice, you know, a little side hustle. And then you ultimately doing what you love. And ultimately, you can shift your main hustle into that side hustle. If the side hustle contains just a little more time for yourself or for your family, if that side hustle includes just, you know, you really loving what you do, then ultimately, you're probably going to gravitate to that. So I think everybody out there, no matter, you know, if you're working for the man or if you're waiting for your retirement to end, you know, so you can, like, get the payments or whatever – That doesn't mean that you have to be miserable doing that thing. You know, start to create a little bit of a meditation practice. Start to weave that stuff into the thing you already do. I mean, who's the greatest, you know, soul cycle teacher on the planet? The person who's integrated meditation into their life. You know, it doesn't take your edge away. It actually sharpens your edge. You know, that's the beauty. So, I mean, I think you get to, you know, you're the living proof that this doesn't soften you it actually raises you
0: up. 100%. You know, you said the word gravitate. And I remember you and I had a one-on-one call. And I remember I asked you, did you always know you wanted to be a meditation teacher? Did you always know that you wanted to, you were interested in meditation? And like, did you decide that was the goal? And then that was what you were going to do. And you were going to work at the Chopra Center and you were going to be the CEO. Did you decide all of those things and then go after it? You said it was No. And recently I've been thinking so much about that, like all the things that I am the most proud of in my life right now to this day, they're not typically something that like I threw up on a vision board and was like, I want to do that thing. I feel like we have to follow the things that light us up and follow the things that excite us in this life. And then you kind of accidentally find out that you can make a living doing that almost in, in so many different ways. I remember I was in college and I remember I set a meeting with my guidance counselor and I said to her, hey, you know, I was so excited for this meeting. I was graduating from college two weeks later and I was like, you know what? I know these two things to be true about myself. I know without a shadow of doubt. And I was like, so I'm going to go in there. I'm going to tell her these two things and she's going to tell me where I should go from here. I walked in there. I set this meeting and I was like, hey, so I know. I love public speaking and I know I want to help people. How do I make a job out of that? And she looked at me and she basically pointed at the door and said, there's the door, kid. Like, you got to go out there and figure it out. You got to go figure it out. And so it was like, you know, a lot of things that happened in, in the interim in between me figuring it out. But it was like, I accidentally, you know, was working on the front desk at SoulCycle and I didn't really want to become an instructor. I, I had really didn't have any desire to do that, to be honest. Like I didn't take the classes and dream of being on the podium and leading a class. Like I loved it. I loved writing in other people's classes, but it wasn't a dream of mine. And then, you know, something shifted and then they were going to do the training out in LA and I was like, okay, you know, maybe I'll try it. And so. I remember it just happened and it worked out. And so I got into the training program. And then it was like this aha moment where I realized that I was doing it. Like those two things, I got to do those two things that like light me up and make me feel like amazing inside. But I think, you know, at the time I had moved out to LA, I had done an internship with a PR company because so often I think we go down these paths in life where we're like, you know what, I'm gonna do what I think I'm supposed to do what society tells me to do, what I think will make me successful, what I think will make me happy. I would have never been happy working in PR and marketing. And I, you know, did this internship and I was miserable. Oh my God, I was miserable. It was awful. And the moments I lived for at the time was like, I was, I was working as a waitress at Hooters. Okay. A lot of people don't know that. And that's what brought me joy. I was happy there. Meanwhile, I'm like doing the PR thing and I'm miserable. And then, you know, it was like, I started working at Cycle. and, you know, it's a long-winded story, but it's just funny how I think we can find a lot of joy and a lot of happiness when we step away from what we're supposed to do and actually get quiet and ask ourselves like, who are we? What makes us tick? What makes us come alive? What brings us joy? And then figure out how you can actually incorporate that into your life. And people would be so surprised to find out that you can make a living doing what you love, no matter what it is.
1: Yeah. And that even happened to me. I'm working at the Chopper Center for, for about a decade. And then it's other people's expectations that I should obviously work there until I die or, or do that thing. And then suddenly I have this like spark inside of me that says, you know what? Time for me to, to let go of this dream and start another time for me to really step into my power and you know so i left there after 10 years and created my own teacher training and you know and and started writing my my books and and doing doing my stuff was it hard yeah the first workshop that i held never forget this it was 2012 i had just written secrets of meditation i'm out on my own i launched the the workshop in september And there were 14 people at this Thursday through Sunday workshop. It cost me, you know, a few thousand dollars to rent the place. I charged ridiculously low because I had no self-esteem and I figured who would ever even pay to come to my class. And mind you, I had the cred. I had like ridiculous cred. But, you know, only 14 people signed up. So I figured, well, I guess, you know, I suck. And, you know, I think I lost like $3,500 on that, on that first event because of, because I had to like rent the place and do all this other stuff and bring the staff and, you know, create that. And then I figured, you know what? I love doing this. I just got to figure out a better model. I have to figure out how to, how to keep doing it. Let me try it again. Maybe this is a fluke and maybe, you know, no one wants to show up at my first thing. And within a year, they were packed. And then I got an offer to write another book. And then I started teaching the Department of Justice reached out to me and said, you know, would you want to start working with cops since they're distinctly could use, you know, some of this help. And then I started working with the military and then I started working with corporations. And then I started, you know, suddenly I'm like working with Lululemon and working with Facebook and working with these companies that I was invisible to. And then suddenly, you know, things happened because I was – was leaning in. So I don't know that it's like jump and the net will appear, but I do believe it's lean in hard in the direction of your dream and don't do stuff because someone else has an expectation. Don't do stuff because it's the noble thing to do. Do stuff because you can't not do it. Do stuff because it's bursting from inside of you and follow that path. Even when you're doing what you love, there's going to be some really hard days, weeks, months in that as well, especially if you're starting out. But I think that as long as you're doing what you love, it's like, I'm not really working. It's like doing what I love. So I'll risk it.
0: The key message in there that I hear is like, you know, for anybody out there listening is like, you know, the first event you put on, you said you were in the hole $3,500. How many people give up? How many people say, oh, man, this wasn't actually for me. I'm going to quit. I'm going to throw the towel in. Like, this actually was just not meant for me. Right? That's what a lot of people do. And it's like, it doesn't mean it's not meant for you, it just means you got to work at it. Good old fashioned elbow grease.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's it. You know, and since then, my life certainly in the direction of meditation has taken off in so many different ways. And so whether that's, you know, working on courses or whether that's, you know, I've certified over 500 people in my own school of, of meditation and everything that I've wanted to do has not been brilliant. But I've tried stuff, and I've realized, well, that sucked. Definitely don't do that again. We're like, wow, this really works. Let's lean a little harder on that. And I think, you know, one of my core philosophies about life is, you know, we ask people, you know, a lot of my workshops that I give, you know, they're about, you know, finding purpose in life. And I'll say, okay, like write down three things that if failure was not an option and success was guaranteed, you know, three things that you might do. And so, eighty-five percent of the people. Start writing, and there's always like a few people who are like, you know, they got their pen and they're like, hmm, 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 and they'll do that. And even once they get it, they won't write it down. And like, so they're allowing that one thought to merge with the sixty thousand to eighty thousand thoughts. Of course, that's why nothing's getting done because they're unwilling to to write the thing down. And I believe you have to dip your toe in the water. You've got to just see. Is the water swivel? Is it too cold? Is it too hot? But you got to dip your toe in to find out. And so I think with all these things, you got to like show up and do stuff. And if it works, cool, lean harder. And if it doesn't work, cool, maybe recalibrate. But I think, you know, refining our path and refining our vision is all part of it. I'll just give you an example. In my shower, I've got one of those like single knobs sort of like it's hot cold and and all that so you know just this morning got into the shower and turned on the water and it was really really cold so adjusted it a little bit more and then just about to like step in again it was like way way too scalding so then like backed off a little bit stepped in it's like ah just right at no point during that shower did i say oh my god you're such a loser you didn't have the perfect temperature. The moment you stepped in, you had to adjust it. And first you were too cold and first, then you were too hot. I didn't like have that. It's just like, that's part of it. So if we have to always, you know, course correct and adjust with something as simple as water temperature in a shower, of course, the same thing's going to happen with our own lives. Six months from now, you're going to be doing different things on this podcast than you're doing now suddenly you might say, oh, I, that really didn't feel great. I want to like tweak it a little bit. I want to, you know, adjust it just a little bit.
0: Man, I feel like I can talk to you all day. <laughs> I just knew this conversation was going to be so, so empowering and amazing and delightful. I want to cover just a couple more like common misconceptions about meditation that people have that might have deterred them thus far in, in their life to making this a practice. And the meditate before you caffeinate is the one that works for me the best. I look forward to, to this right here every day, this cup of coffee. Yeah. I don't get to have this until I sit with myself first until I meditate. But yeah. So I wanted to go over just a couple of those common misconceptions and maybe we'll, we'll go back and forth. And and so the first one I have is that you can't do it wrong. It's like, it's just like a workout. You know, going to the gym, it's like the only bad workout is the one that you didn't do. The only bad meditation is the one that you didn't do.
1: Right. And it's really rare. It's really rare that someone leaves the workout and goes like, well, that sucked. The same thing applies to to your meditation, even a yoga class. If you just show up and do something, even if the teacher isn't great, even if the experience wasn't mind-blowing, you just, with meditation... You've just cultivated something. That's the thing. Our brain is very, very fluid and we can actually shift our brain. They call it neuroplasticity, which means the brain can actually move in different ways when we cultivate a certain thing. So I think one of the big misconceptions and and the one of the biggest challenges is that if you're a high achiever, you're like, uh, well, they say to do it every day, but I'm a high achiever. So I could probably just do it, you know, once. But that's like saying that about brushing your teeth. You would never say like, I'm going to brush once a week, but I'm going to do it really good. And that's going to have the same impact. It's not, right? Your breath is not going to be as fresh. Your teeth will not be as healthy and your gums won't be as healthy. But if you do it every day, it's like, oh, there are these benefits. So I think what major misconception is that people, you know, think that if they do this thing, suddenly they're going to hear Buddha or Jesus whispering in their ear and have this aha moment. Maybe, who knows? But we're not doing it for that. We're doing it again to cultivate the person that we are. We're cultivating our ability to witness. And when we can be better witnesses, we're better responders to people in life. We're better listeners. We're better receivers. And it's been proven to boost your emotional intelligence. So we know all the physiological benefits, you know, of meditation. How about this for one? What's the number one thing we could do to be resistant to the coronavirus? meditation actually boosts your immune system. I don't know anything else that's not a pill that's gonna boost your immune system. So we, we know that works. We know that meditation also boosts your, your growth hormone and your sex hormone. We know that it slows down adrenaline and cortisol and glucagon. We know that it slows your blood pressure. We know that it slows your heart down. We know that it makes your breaths go longer and deeper. So we know that on a physiological and emotional level, it's really really important unfortunately it's so powerful but the results are so subtle so you start doing this thing and then suddenly you're like kicking ass in some aspect of your life and you would never give meditation the credit you would never say well by the way you know I've been meditating every single day because people have said to me you know I'll bump into people like 6 months after they've stopped meditating and I'll say like so how, what's going on with your life And they go like, well, I was really into the whole meditation thing. I was showing up every single day, just for like 10 minutes a day, you know, suddenly found my soulmate, suddenly found my dream job, you know, suddenly I was feeling better about myself than ever, but I wasn't really feeling the results of the, of the meditation. like, what? You just manifested every single perfect thing that everyone else on the planet is looking for. So the results are subtle, but we have to sort of like give ourselves props for, for doing that thing. For high achievers, what's the hardest thing to do? Sit and do nothing. We were trained. We were trained as we as we came out of the womb. You know, like get busy, you know, lean in, effort and attention. You know, focus effort. Focus effort. meditation sort of like I'm sitting here doing nothing. Sort of like contrary to all that stuff. So, you know, you know, we can say, Oh, I guess Oprah is such a loser because she meditates 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon, Richard Branson. We could go down the list, Ariana Grande, Katy Perry. You know, we can just go down the list of all these people who have taken it into their lives and have thrived because of it. So if you think you don't have the time, those celebs I just mentioned, they're making the time for it. They're better because of it. If you think like, well, you don't understand I've got kids. You don't understand I've got a job. You don't understand I'm on deadline. You don't understand I I manage people. You don't understand my boss is a jerk. Guess what? We can still do that. So you don't have to suddenly formally create the altar and put the Buddha up there and do all that other stuff. You just need to say, oh, I'm sitting here and it's 10 minutes till my next call. Let me just close my eyes for five minutes. And even if we say either as we inhale, let, and as we exhale, go, or I am enough, just allow that because if you were dieting, you'd have the scale to prove that it was working. This, there's a much bigger scale. It's sort of like the scale of your life. Once you start meditating, suddenly, it's like taking off dark shades. Suddenly, everything looks a little bit more expansive. Your relationships, your possibilities, your limiting beliefs, all that stuff, suddenly, you start to level up. So I believe it's one of, you know, and if we say, oh, Phil Jackson and Kobe Bryant, so many great... Football players that we have, you know, you pick the sport and you know, the people who are really crushing it are the people who've woven this practice into their lives. So if you think it's not for you, that's absurd. If you think you have more thoughts than anyone else, the reality is we have 60,000 to 80,000. So maybe you have 80,000. Okay. And someone else is 70,000? Could we really parse the difference there? We're never trying to stop thoughts. And that's another reason that people stop meditating. They're like, I'm meditating, but I still have thoughts. Good. Thoughts alive, No thoughts flatlining. We want to have thoughts. It's okay.
0: Even the Dalai Lama has thoughts.
1: Right, right. Exactly. If the Dalai Lama can have thoughts when he meditates, it's probably okay for the rest of us to have thoughts. And we're all experiencing those benefits. But I would say to somebody... Again, it's about consistency, not duration. Don't suddenly say, oh, I have to do all this time in the morning. How about 10 minutes? Just meditate. And maybe, you know, five minutes in the afternoon. And maybe like a minute or 16 seconds throughout the course of the day just to recenter yourself.
0: Right. You turn it into this, this like secret weapon that you have that you can call on at any point, anywhere, anytime, no matter where you are.
1: Right. And most people say, uh, oh, I need a Xanax. And we could say, oh, let me just take a deep breath. <laughs> we could actually train ourselves to just take a deep breath. We all have the same amount of thoughts. We all have the same amount of hours in the day. We have to figure out is 10 minutes of me connecting to this worth all that magnificence. As you said, when you open your eyes and you're back here with the rest of us, is it worth you know all of that?
0: So one last question for you. What is, and I ask everyone this, this same question. So what is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self?
1: Well, I wouldn't change anything, although, you know, I made some drastic moves in my life. And so, because I think, you know, sometimes we have to crawl through the glass to get to the other part, but probably I would have said, don't worry, the road to bliss is not always blissful. Um, <laughs> and, and I would have probably suffered and struggled a little bit less.
0: I dig it. I dig it. I love that. Well, thank you so, so much for being here. I knew that I had to have you on because I know that there are so many people who are curious about meditation. Beyond that, there are so many people who just want to level up their lives, who want to do better, create more, succeed more, achieve more. And sometimes we can do less. And achieve more by connecting to who we are within. And I uh, knew you'd be the perfect guy to, to share some wisdom and some light on that. So I truly appreciate you being here and uh, sharing.
1: Well, thank you so much, Victoria. And you are the most magnificent expression of this practice and of these teachings. You're living it, you're showing it, you're walking the talk. And I think you're touching with so many people. So I'm honored to be here with you.
0: Thank you so much. You guys, am I right or am I right? I told you that today's interview was going to be just so damn good, so damn good. And obviously, we did cover so much more than meditation. It's just meditation is one piece and one part of this giant puzzle of our day. And if we can carve out just 10 minutes, 10 minutes to sit with ourselves, 10 minutes to put ourselves first before the world, you know, filters its way in, before you check your email inbox, before you look at your phone, before you, you know, everyone needs a piece of you and you have to give so much of yourself to everyone else in the world. It's like, you know, I always say like, you want to be a better mom, a better dad, a better friend, a better sibling, a better whatever it is, coworker. You got to be able to put yourself first. You have to be able to show up for yourself first that's how we do it. You can't pour from an empty cup, right? You can only pour from the spillover, right? Fill your cup first and then give to others the spillover. And so I hope that you took so many lessons from today's episode. I feel like it's one of those episodes that you'd want to listen to over and over again. If you did feel that today, please, 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 by all means, share it. Share it with somebody you love. And I always say that, but It's the truest expression of love. You know, tell someone you were thinking of them and, you know, they could benefit from this too. share this episode with as many people as you can. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it. So we're going to see you guys next week. Look forward to our next interview. And uh, I will leave you with all the stuff and all the things, which is follow David G on Instagram at David G Meditation. Follow me at Victoria Brown and our podcast page at Very Best Self. And please hit five stars. Please hit that subscribe button. And, you know, if you want to leave a review, like, I would be very grateful for that. Have the best day. I appreciate you. VB out. See you next time. As always, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you for listening to today's episode, for hitting that subscribe button, and maybe most importantly, for leaving a positive review. If you loved this episode, please pay it forward and share it with someone that you love. That's how we keep this thing going. You can find me on Instagram at Victoria Brown or connect with me and the Very Best Self Squad on our pod page at Very Best Self. Don't forget, no matter where you are on your journey, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. I'll see you next time, squad.